It is a joy um, to be here with you all this morning. Allow me to introduce myself to you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe Catronio, and uh, I am the, uh, one of the teaching pastors at Doxa Bible Church in Indianapolis. And Pastor Tony, your pastor, whom we love very much, uh, is actually now preaching at Doxa. And um, you guys are getting the leftovers, so that's what's going to happen today. So we're going to be here. I'm excited to be here with you guys. How many of you guys are glad to be here today? Come on. Come on. All right. I can tell by the way you were worshiping, you're excited to be here this morning. So, all right, open up your Bibles. We're going to continue on in this minor prophet study as a church family. Uh, interesting, it's important you should probably know this. Um, what you guys are doing here at the Rock Bible Church, doing the minor prophet study, we are doing simultaneously at, at Doxa Bible Church as a family of churches. So, excited to be walking through this together. Um, in different places, but today you're going to need to turn to the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk or uh, however you say it, Chewbacca. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's a, there's a lot of different ways to pronounce this particular book, um, and nobody really knows exactly how to properly pronounce it, um, but we're going to be in there, so I'm going to give you a minute to turn there if you're new to the Bible. Um, there is just, I just encourage you to open to the Old Testament kind of towards the middle of your Bible. It's the, towards the back of the Old Testament. And you're going to find this funny name, uh, Habakkuk, there. We're going to begin in chapter number one in just a moment. And uh, as you're uh, continuing to set that up, you know, I say that it's a strange name. We don't have a name like this uh, here in, in, in America, per, per se. But uh, the name may be strange. Habakkuk is a strange name. But it doesn't mean um, by any stretch of the imagination, what he's going to talk about in this book is strange. In fact, here's the reality. What we're getting ready to walk through in this particular short three-chapter letter um, is, is he's addressing the very, I would call it a universal problem that exists in every single person's life. Whether you're a kid in elementary school or if you're a, uh, a, an 80-year-old person sitting in this room right now. The problem he's addressing in this particular book is the problem of heartache. And all of us know what that feels like. And I want you to understand what we're getting ready to walk into. This is the time frame that's happening here. Let me set the scene. This is 600 BC. Anybody know what BC stands for? Yes, before Christ. Come on, high schoolers. Let's go. All right. So um, that's exactly right. So this is 600 years before Jesus shows up on planet Earth physically, okay, uh, in bodily form, the incarnation of Christ. Now, the situation that we're getting ready to walk into and we're going to sit in with Habakkuk is, is the nation is upside down. Uh, the, the, it's almost like everything is unraveling all around him. Now, where we've been so far in this Minor Prophets series, you remember, if you were with us at all, um, the nation of Israel is actually divided. There's some family feud that has happened, and there's unresolved conflict. Can anybody in the building relate to that, right? Okay, so that, that's what's happening here. So you have this, the northern kingdoms, the northern, northern tribes, and the southern tribes. What's happened in this situation in 600 B.C., is the very thing that God was warning the people about, the coming of Babylon. They were going to come and capture them and make them slaves and force them into exile has happened. But it happened to the northern tribes. And then I want you to imagine the scene. Those of you who have been familiar with World War II videos or movies, you've seen clips of this. Imagine the invasion of Germany in Poland. The destruction, the devastation, the roads were torn up. Buildings were destroyed. That's the scene. In, northern, in the northern tribes and, then, and the southern tribes where Habakkuk lives, okay, he lives in the south, the good old Georgia peaches, uh, where he's down there, 
Things are not much better either. Now, they haven't been captured by Babylon yet, although they can see this impending doom coming. What Habakkuk is seeing and the heartache he's watching is they have just experienced a devastating drought. Like all of their crops uh, have been wasted away. The field, the ground is dried up. There's no food, no harvest, no fruit. Their cattle has either starved to death or they've been stolen. That's the scene. So you've got their family members are now slaves forced into exile, carried away. And his people, what he's seeing around them is this devastation, this, this drought. His life feels like it's a, a bad country song, so to speak, right? It's almost like you have a thread in your sweater and somebody, some smart aleck pulls the thread and the whole sweater starts to unravel. That's what his life is beginning to feel like. It's like, and, and the question he's approaching here, that we're going to come across a lot in this book, is this question, where are you now, God? I've given my life to worship you. I've done everything I know to do in obedience to you, and this is how you repay me? Where are you? I need you to move in my situation. He's, he's very clearly struggling to, to understand what God is doing in the situation, and so he's struggling with heartache. And what I love that's surprising in this book, there's only three chapters. He, chapter one, we see him sighing to God, like sighing out of frustration, anger. But then in chapter three, we find him singing to God, singing songs of joy and praise to the Lord. So then we're left with this question of what in the world happened to Habakkuk? And here's what we're gonna discover. We're gonna see from this incredible book how to discover hope in the midst of heartache. And I want you to hear that. Some of us in this room, I mean, some of you in the room right now, maybe you've come, uh, you've, as you look back in the past, you can see the heartache. You're coming out of heartache, right? Uh, some of you in the room have, have experienced survival through heartache. Some horrible things have happened to you in your life, in your marriage, in your upbringing as a child. You've been through some terrible things. And you perhaps need some framework on how to process all of that pain and disappointment. Habakkuk is written for you. Some of you in this room are like, you're, that's you right now. Like you're experiencing sorrow now. You're experiencing grief right now and pain and heartache. Habakkuk is going to give you, is, is a beacon of hope to know, to show you how to navigate this pain that you're experiencing. Others of you are like, hey, bro, life is good for me right now. I mean, I, don't have, I didn't have a drought this year. The business is going well. I'm, everything's setting up well for me and my family. I'm getting ready to get married. It's going to be awesome, right? So here's what I would encourage you. Habakkuk was written to you as well. It's equipping you for the, when the heartache does come. So everyone in this room should lean in to what Habakkuk is going to show us, how you and I can experience and discover hope in the midst of heartache. I'm going to ask you, before we jump into the book, if you would unite your hearts with mine as we beg God for clarity and to have eyes to see what is written here in this ancient book of only three chapters. Y'all do that with me? All right, let's do it. Let's pray. Lord, we are we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you have preserved your word for every generation. God, as your people, we are a desperate people. God, you have said when you were on the earth, Jesus, um, trouble. You will experience trouble in this world. 
But you also told us to not be afraid of that because you have overcome the world. And Lord, as we sing these songs of, of, of worship to you, Lord, some of us in this room right now are in the midst of heartache. Others of us have navigated some very painful situations in the past and we need help processing how to rightly view those painful moments. And others of us, God, are sitting in this room and we're, things are going well, but we wanna prepare ourselves for the heartache that we know will come because we live in a broken world. So Jesus... We submit to the authority of your word and we ask you to come and speak to us. Lead us in the truth that you have before us and help us to find hope in the midst of heartache whenever it comes. And the church said, amen, amen. All right, so what we're gonna see in this short little book, three chapters, we're gonna take one chapter at a time. And I promise I'm gonna keep you here for 30 minutes, all right? Well, something like that, all right? Um, so uh, we're gonna look at each three of these chapters. We're gonna kind of do a, uh, a comb over through the text. I'm not gonna exegete every verse. Someone say, thank God, right? We'll be here forever. But here's what I, what I wanna do is I want you to see three things, three specific ways that Habakkuk discovers hope in the midst of heartache. And as we're writing it, I want you to understand, God preserved this not just for Habakkuk. He's preserved this for us. And something interesting about Habakkuk is, in all the other minor prophets, the prophet is speaking to the people on behalf of God. In Habakkuk, it's the opposite. Now Habakkuk is speaking to God on behalf of the people and on behalf of himself. Like, where are you, God? So the first thing, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down somewhere, even if you write it in the, um, somewhere in your Bible in the margins. Here's the lessons we're going to see. The first thing is this. Hope isn't found in explanations, but in God's promises. Think about that. Hope isn't found in explanations, but in God's promises. In fact, what I want to do as we jump into this scene, um, we're going to look specifically at the source. I want you to I want to double click on what is causing Habakkuk all the heartache. And the first thing I want you to see here in, in verse 2, uh, we're going to find right away that the first thing that's causing Habakkuk heartache is God's silence. He is silent to him. Check it out, verse number two. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, look at that. Here he says this. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Oh, or cry to you violence and you will not save. Do you hear it in his tone? He's very clearly he's just, he's been praying to God. He's still praying to God and it doesn't seem like it's getting any worse. Can you guys relate to that? You ever, you ever prayed about a situation in your life and you just feel like it's God's not responding? He's not intervening? He's not even helping and causing you to even question at times whether or not God's even really there? Or is he preoccupied by caring for other people in the church, answering their prayers, helping them out? Meanwhile, you're over here struggling to figure out what the heck is going on. That's Habakkuk. That's exactly where he's at right now. But I want you to do some circling in your Bible. Notice in verse number two, he uses the word cry two times. I want you to circle that word cry primarily because he, there are two different Hebrew words in this first verse we're looking at. First word for cry means to rescue. God, rescue me. Help me. It's like you're sinking in the bottom of a, 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 in the ocean. And throw me a raft. Help me. That's the cry of the first cry he mentions. But interestingly, in Hebrew, the second word for cry he uses here is he's not asking for help anymore. Now he's mad at God because he's not helping him. He's yelling at God. This is the moment when you're in your car by yourself and you're shouting at God. Has anybody been there before? 
Okay, I got three hands. That's not true. Okay, so like those moments when you're just like, you're, you're frustrated and you're angry with God. He's not helping you. Here's the thing. Habakkuk is dealing right now with the heartache that comes from God's silence. And, and oftentimes you're going to feel that in this world. So that's the first uh, thing I want you to see. Look, as we turn to verse number three, we'll also see uh, another cause for heartache is the culture's sinfulness. Look at, look at verse three. Look at the culture around him. He says, why do you make me see with my eyes this iniquity? Why do you, do you idly look at all the wrong? In other words, you are doing nothing for all the bad things that are happening around me. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so that the, so the law is paralyzed. Your word of God is having no effect among the people that I'm looking at. It's, you say it's powerful, but it's not doing, it's not even moving one, one ant out of its place. You're not doing anything here, God. He's very frustrated. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. See, this, the culture in which he's living in right now, he's seeing these people don't care about doing the right thing. Your, your law is having no effect. Um, it's not moving the hearts of people. And no matter how long he's been praying, no matter how many sermons Habakkuk preaches to the people, it's like it's falling on deaf ears. The people don't care about the Lord. That's what he's saying. And I'm asking you to help me and minister to their hearts and break through their solid rock heart of stone. And they just go on continuing to live their life in rebellion to you. You may have family members that no matter how many times you try to convince them to, to, to pursue the Lord, their heart is like stone and it frustrates you. You're like, why can't you understand? Where are you, God? Help me help them. That's it. That's the emotion he's feeling right now. And he's feeling the heartache of that. Now, what we find in verse number five is God actually gives him an answer. God answers Job, or not Job. God answers Habakkuk like he kind of did with Job, right? It's kind of an awakening moment. Now, here's the thing. What we're going to read, um, when God answers him, it's almost like he's saying, he, he, he adds on to the heartache. He doesn't help the heartache. He makes the heartache worse. So it's better off, of, it would have been better if he would have been silent. Maybe you shouldn't have answered me, God. That's kind of the response we're going to find. Look at verse number five. Uh, if you're there, say amen, so I know you're still with me. Amen. All right, look at it. It says, look among the nations and see. This is God speaking now. Look among the nations, Habakkuk, and see. Wonder and be astonished. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians, okay? I'm raising them up. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through at the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Okay, so here we got, he, now he's experiencing the heartache from his enemy's success, all right? So we've got this silence from God, the culture sinfulness, and now we have this, this his, he's promising to make his enemies succeed. Habakkuk, you think it's hard right now, bro. It's actually going to get much worse because those Chaldeans, those Babylonians, guess what? They weren't just going to sweep away the northern tribes, your family members. They're coming for you. Okay, God, let's do a different plan. Come on, is there another option? It's like asking for help for someone. You ever done, tell me, I'm sure you can relate to this. You ask for help for someone, or I should say, Someone sees that you need some help with a house project or something, and uh, they come to help you, and actually in the helping of you, they make it worse. You know what I'm talking about? Like, just go away, all right? I don't want you to be around me right now because you're now i got to do double the work. That's what's happening. Like, God, what? 
In fact, look what he says in verse 13. Habakkuk responds to God. He says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at these traitors, these, these Babylonians, and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? Like, I'm a righteous person. I'm trying to live right, and you're going to let them come and attack me? Come after my family? Come after my possessions, my house? It's all going to go away, and that's what you're telling me? Why would you do that? Hear it? Hear it very clearly. He is trying his best to understand what God was doing. He's looking for God to explain to him what he's doing. And the point that I want you to see, I want us to grasp, is that hope isn't found in explanations. It's found in God's promises. Again, we are, he already told Habakkuk in verse number five, I'm doing a work in your life that you're not going to be able to understand. So don't even try to understand it. It's too far great, too far advanced for you to comprehend. All right, write this reference down. This will help you, all right? I'm gonna, you're going to have to do some writing as far as some scripture to look up later on. I encourage you to look back on this um, to help you process this truth that we're unpacking this morning. Uh, Isaiah 55. It's a great passage of scripture. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, I highly recommend that you do. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says this. This is God speaking. He says, listen, my thoughts are, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, uh, says the Lord. He says, for as, a high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. No more than you can explain to a grasshopper the laws of gravity are you able to understand what God is doing in your life all the time. Does that, does that sink in? So, so, so here's the thing. Stop wasting your time trying to figure out and asking God to explain to you all of the things that are happening in your life that's causing you the heartache. That's not where hope is going to come from. It's not going to come from you understanding that or what God is doing. Uh, Romans chapter 11. This is another great reference of scripture I, I want to make sure I note to you. Um, if you know your Bibles and, and what's going on in the book of Romans, this is the church he's writing to, and they're experiencing a lot of persecution after following Jesus. Uh, they're being martyred for their faith, killed, stoned to death. Their brothers and sisters who they went to the grocery store with, they didn't come home with because they were stoned to death before they got out of the grocery store. They're being kidnapped and abducted by the Romans. They're being slaughtered. So Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome to encourage them, and this is what he says. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Here, in other words, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I know this doesn't look good. This looks terrifying. People are being martyred in this situation, but he's just spent the whole book of Romans, giving them a proper theology of who God is. And now he's saying, how great is he? Don't make me start singing that song. I will. How I won't do it. Okay. So God is great, church. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're seeing here. He's trying to get their perspective, his, his perspective. Habakkuk, God isn't going to give you uh, an understanding of everything that's happening. And by the way, just because God doesn't tell you everything that he's doing or explain to you everything he's doing doesn't mean he's not working. In fact, remember I said to you, hope isn't found in our expl in explanations. It's found in God's promises. Uh, maybe you're wrestling with, okay, Joe, 
but where is a promise being mentioned in this, in this first chapter? I don't see, we didn't cover one promise. Oh, contraire, my friend. Maybe you just didn't see it. Verse number five, let me get your eyes back to that verse. Listen carefully to what God says. For I am doing a work in your days. Do you hear that? So clearly what you need to understand is God is working in the heartache. Some of you experienced some really traumatic things as a kid. Um, Some of you are experiencing things right now that is causing extreme heartache. This verse needs to encourage you. God is doing a good work in the midst of it. Some of you are already on the other side of it, and you have seen the good work that God has done in completion, and it's baffling. It causes your heart to worship with excitement because you've seen it. Others of you, you haven't seen it yet, but the promise is there. He will do a good work. Listen to this, Hosea 6. You can write this somewhere down. Hosea verse, or chapter 6, verse 3. Let me read it to you. Hosea 6, 3 says, let us know. No, no, no. Let us go on and press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as sure as the dawn. So here, before I move on to the second thing, I want to ask you this direct question as just a pastor who comes every now and then to preach at the rock. I don't know all of you very well. Some of you I know well. But here's the question I want you wrestling with. What heartache have you been trying to get God to explain to you? Stop. Hope isn't found in explanation. Hope is found in the promises that God has provided you. So find the promises of God in scripture and hold on to them because God will come through. Do I have an amen? Amen. Come on, church. Encourage each other with that. All right, now let's look at the second thing. Second way that we'll see uh, hope in the midst of heartache is this. Hope isn't found in appearances, but in God's providence. Hope is found in God's providence. Check, hands up if you agree with it, that things are not always as they appear to be, right? Okay, right? It's a very true statement, right? I hear my mom's voice as I say that out loud, like, honey, eat your broccoli. It's not as, not, not as bad as it looks, I promise, right? In my head, I hear that. So in chapter two, what we're gonna find is that God wants Habakkuk to know as well as us is that he is providentially working everything out according to his redemptive plan regardless of how things appear right now in the situation. So uh, chapter two starts off, look at verse number one. He says, I will take my stand at my my watch post and station myself, you can translate it by myself, on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. First thing I want you to note here, and it's just kind of an aside, notice that what Habakkuk is doing is he's getting alone. He, he wants to get alone with the Lord. He's getting, he wants to be alone for the pl- to find a place of solitude. And for him, he goes to a watchtower. Hey, if you're, if you're in the midst of heartache, one of the best things you could do in your life right now is to get alone with the Lord. Do you have a place right now that you can call a place of solitude? Is it a chair? Is it your car on the way to work? Where do you have, do you have a place? Listen, you need a place to get alone. Clearly, that's what he's doing here in the text. And what we're about to find that happens because he is alone with the Lord is incredible. So before I go any further, do you have a place of solitude that you can go to? And the second thing we find in verse number one, he's, he's listening carefully to the Lord. He gets alone with the Lord so that he can listen carefully to what the Lord is going to show him 
and tell him. So that's a little aside, but I want, you to, I want you to see that in the text right away. So what we're going to find in the remaining portion of this chapter is God now, um, or I should say Habakkuk now, is, is listening in as God is beginning to tell him who he actually is. He's not telling him what he's doing necessarily in intricate detail or explaining to him all the, all the things that are happening. Rather, he's just going to show them who, who, who he is and what he has provided for him throughout the generations and for his own personal life. So we're taking notes, three things that God provides in this chapter two that I want you to see. And again, I'm gonna skim over it just so we can see it all. First thing that we're gonna find in verse, in verse two all the way through verse five is uh, this direction from God's word. God provides him direction from his word. I love this scene, all right? So he sits up there in this watchtower and look what he happens. He says, and the Lord answered me. Okay, here we go. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may run well who reads it, or I should say who run, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So right here, I want you to see that he's telling them like God's word will provide direction for you in the midst of the heartache. He says, look, I want you to write this down, Habakkuk. And by the way, you can put your name on the, on the tablets and, and call it after yourself because what I'm about to tell you and show you, other generations are going to need because they're gonna need, well, why do they need it? Why do they need the, what I'm about to write? Why are you telling me to write this down? What he says in verse number two, he says, write it down, make it plain so he may run who reads it. He wants us to run. Now, we're generations removed from this. And now the question is, where are we supposed to run? Run where? Run to the Lord. This particular book was written so that you, in the midst of your heartache, would run to the Lord. That's what it's about. It's why Habakkuk wrote this. That's why God told him to write it down. He says, everything I'm about to show you, write it so that they can run to me. His word will provide the needed direction for their broken hearts. Psalm 119, 105, very familiar verse. Um, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's exactly right. What does that mean? It means he's going to provide direction for you in the midst of your heartache when things get dark. You know, this, I, need, I wrote this down for myself. This is for me, but I'll share it with you. Joe, don't run until you read. Anybody relate to that? How many times have I gotten ahead of the Lord and I made a big mess? Um, just ask my wife. She'll, next time she's here, she'll tell you all about it. So I, I don't run until you read. Don't try to fix things ahead of the Lord. And then going on in verse 3, this, he tells us about this vision, right? This, he tells him to wait because even though things may appear to be slow, uh, as you're finding God's word, you're discovering things in God's word, don't rush ahead of the Lord. Wait on him. It will come to pass. Everything that he promised to do will happen for you. It's an incredible promise, okay? And then look what he says in verse four. Behold, his soul, speaking of the Babylonians, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous people, they shall live by faith. That's important. Now, that's a very, very familiar verse. We see that in the book of Romans, chapter one, verse 17. It's what led to the great reformation. Uh, Galatians 3, 11. He's just simply saying, listen, believe what he has said even when it's dark. That's what the righteous people are called to do in the midst of the heartache. Now, I, I want to just be real honest with you. So I'm thinking about, as I'm working through this passage in my own life, like church, I, I, my wife and I, we've been married for 18 years. We have three kids. 
Um, when we first got married, uh, we wanted to wait to have children, right? And when we, and our pressure was coming from our family, you had to have kids. I need a grandbaby, right? So uh, back off, all right? If you're, if you're a grandparent, not yet. So hang, hang on. Uh, so we're trying to enjoy married life. And then we started to try to have kids. We got pregnant. Um, and it was an incredible season. We got further, far along in the pregnancy. And then we ended up having a miscarriage. I will never forget the pain and the agony of that miscarriage. Um, my wife weeping in tears, um, not only physically painful, but like weeping in tears at the reality that now we're not going to be able to have this child. This is well before we had our other children. And we were thinking, okay, there's something wrong. We don't have the ability to have children. That's something that we can't, we can't do this. And the, the fear that we experienced in that moment, right? I remember the, the frustration with the Lord. It's that heartache that I was experiencing that we're talking about here, the pain of that. I didn't know how to comfort my wife. I didn't know how to talk to the Lord. I was just so angry with the Lord. But, you know, I remember going to God's word, specifically reading the book of Psalms, and I just started praying the Psalms because I couldn't put words in my mouth to pray to the Lord. I was so broken and so angry with the Lord. And then I, and then I, went to, I found in, in the book of Ephesians how to love my wife in the midst of her pain. Like Ephesians 5 was guiding me and showing me how to love my wife in the midst of the pain. My point in saying this to you is God's word provided direction for me in the past, but right now, present tense, I'm still going through heartache. It's not in the form of a miscarriage. My family is literally unraveling before my eyes. My brother is, is hooked on drugs, um, and he lives in Florida, near Orlando, Florida. I live here. I can't get to my brother. I don't know how to help my brother. He's going in the complete opposite direction. He knows what the right thing to do is. I have been begging God for decades for God to get a hold of his life, to re bring him up out of that, and it's just again and again and again. So today, I am telling you, as I'm reading the book of Habakkuk, I am finding incredible hope to know that God's promises come through. They will come through. Now, whether that means he's going to get saved, I don't know that. What I do know is that my prayer is very powerfully effective on behalf of my brother, according to James chapter 5. And I'll just tell you, wherever heartache you're experiencing right now, lean into this. What Habakkuk is telling us here, we're seeing God communicate clearly. God's word provides direction. Second thing I want you to know here, again, this idea, we're under the heading of uh, hope isn't found in appearances, but in, in God's providence, I want you to see that God also promised to provide retribution for all of the injustice that he is seeing with his own eyes. In fact, as you read the, this particular portion of scripture, really verses six all the way through uh, verse 19, we find God issuing out five woes in the passage to these Babylonians, and he's calling them out five specific things that he's saying. He says, don't, Habakkuk, don't you think, don't ever think that I'm not seeing what's going on. He calls out uh, the, the, the material corruption, right? The Babylonians were literally, they ransacked the entire northern tribe, stealing away all of their wealth and prosperity. He's like, I saw that. I know that, what they're doing. They're, they're taking advantage of the slaves that they have now um, to make them become their slaves for, for own marketing value, to make money for themselves, to buy bigger houses and clean their houses. And he says, I see it. Talked about moral in verse number 12, we find him addressing their this woe to their moral corruption. All of their politicians were corrupt. The only thing they cared about was themselves. They weren't interested in the help of the people, right? Then we have this objectifying of the innocent people in verse 15. He issues a woe out to the people who are taking children and women 
uh, literally abducting women and children to become sex slaves, right? And then abusing them uh, and taking advantage of them. God's saying, I see it all. And just because it appears like nothing is happening, like they're getting away with it, I promise you, I'm going to get my vengeance. That's what he says. Now, in our country right now, I just listed off a bunch of things that we can totally relate to. And I want you to hear this. As you think about the nation and as you think about your own context and you feel and you sit in the midst of the injustice that you are experiencing, I need you to hear what God is saying to you. He will get recompense. He will get vengeance, declares the Lord. And that is what he promises in that section of scripture. The last thing I want you to see is this. In light of that, um, what he mentions in verse 14 and 20, this peace, right? There's going to be a peace God will provide um, through his sovereignty. I want you to capture that. In fact, look at verse 14 in, in chapter 2. Listen to what he says. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Notice the emphasis on will be. It hasn't happened yet. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. No one's going to have to tell each other how great God is because they're going to see it. His glory is going to be so expansive that it's as if the, like the waters cover the earth. That's how obvious his glory is going to be. That's a not yet reality for us. And that's a promise that God is going to fulfill. In verse 20, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. So let all the earth keep silent before him. Here's what he's saying here. There's not panic going on in heaven. There, I'm not panicked in my throne room about what's going on in your situation in your life. So hear that, loved ones. And no matter how things appear, God is still in control. So this glimpse, hear this, if I want to move on, before I move on to this next thing, this glimpse of God's providence, how did he get this? What made it possible for him to see how providential God was in his suffering? Anybody remember? He listened and he did what? He got alone with the Lord. If you are in a season of suffering and heartache, those two things are critical for you. Because as you get alone with the Lord in your own little watchtower and you begin to listen in carefully, I promise you, God is going to reveal to you his providence. You will see who he is. And the result of that is what happens in chapter three. So turn there. If you, got, if you have to flip a page over, whatever you got to do, I want you to see this last thing that happens about, uh, from, from finding hope in heartache. In fact, you could write it this way. Hope is, is found, I'm sorry, hope is not found in my circumstances, but in bringing God praise. You see, as he, at the heels of just discovering how providential God is, as he's been isolated and alone for a season to just commune with the Lord and he sees who God is, he cannot help but praise the Lord. He bubbles up like a volcano with eruption and celebration for him. It's in his soul. Like, check it out. Look how he writes this. In verse number one of chapter three, uh, he says this, the prayer of Habakkuk, uh, the prophet according to, it's a funny little word there, right? In your Bibles, you see that funny little word? Circle that word. I'm gonna try my best to pronounce it in Hebrew. Okay, you ready? Shigianoth. That's pretty close, right? I, I mean, you wouldn't know it if I didn't. Okay, so Shigianoth, um, here's what that means. Translated in English, it means a deep welling of praise and celebration. Come on. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. How do you go from sighing with frustration to now singing with celebration? Only thing, chapter two. He got a glimpse of who God was. 
He was, when he saw the greatness of God, that's what changed everything for him. And so now we read chapter three and he's singing to the Lord. That's incredible. All right, now, again, note this. As he's singing this song to the Lord, hear me, his circumstance has not changed. Did you hear that? He's still in the midst of the heartache. Even though his circumstance hasn't changed, his heart has. Come on. That'll preach the fire out of this church. Come on. That's good. Right? So that's so filled, so filled with hope here. And now he does something incredible in chapter 3 where we get a glimpse of Jesus and nobody saw it coming. All right? Check out what happened. And we read the, continue reading. I want you to see this. In chapter 2, notice, first of all, I want to hit on this. He says, oh, Lord, I have, I'm sorry, verse 2, oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember your mercy. Notice he says, oh, Lord, twice in that one verse. That's the tetragrammaton. That's the, that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh in Hebrew. If you're German, it's Jehovah, right? That's, that's the name. And what he's doing, he says, hey, this is the name, the personal name for God. He's saying, I'm done with asking the why. I'm done trying to figure out and explain what you're doing. I'm all eyes on you. I'm ascribing worth to you. I see you. Horizontal? No, it's vertical. And when that happens, something happens here. In the midst of the heartache, your heart isn't aching anymore. Now, let me say this. There's going to be an ebb and a flow. Because in the heartache, God allows the heartache to get this vertical attention to happen in your life. So don't dismiss that. I want to say that before we go any further. But I, I, I want you to see this is going to be a, a pretty incredible thing that's happening. It's eyes on the Lord. In verses 3 through 16, what we find here is he writes out in declarative form who God is. Based off of what he's learned in chapter 2, right? He's now declaring to the Lord um, who he is and what he does. Now, the interesting thing is, in chapter 3, he writes it all in the past tense as if it has already happened. But note, this is 600 years before Jesus comes. None of the things that he's celebrating here has happened in his lifetime. He's declaring them in the future. That's what's happening in the scene. So, Let's do some fun. I want you to see a couple things here. Look at verse three. We're gonna read this section together. He says, God came, past tense, from Taman, or Tam, yeah, Taman, the, the holy one of Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. That was verse 14, right? We read that together and it hasn't happened yet entirely. Okay, continuing. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power, verse 5, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth, talking about the moment when he judges the entire earth. He stood and measured the earth and he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. Uh, the, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. And then he culminates this whole idea at what he's talking about. All, again, this hasn't happened yet, but he's writing it in the past tense. He's singing this song of worship to the Lord. Then drop to verse number 13. Look at verse 13, and he continues. The, this is the culminating moment of his song. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed one. That's a very important word there. That word is also translated Messiah, Okay. 
You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. Does, not, does that sound like what we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? Anybody know that verse? He will crush the head of the serpent as he bites his heel. This is prophecy coming out right here. And who's he talking about? King Jesus. 600 years before we were to come. Right? So he's now prophesying of this one day of Jesus. And he's singing as if it's already happened. You know why? Because he's convinced that the promises of God stand true. That's what happens. Now, here's why I bring this up. This is why I get so fired up and all jacked up in here this morning. Here's why. Because to Habakkuk, what was honestly future, it hasn't happened yet. And he's believing and he's singing out of his heartache and, and celebrating to God. And it was all yet to happen. You and I sitting in this room 2,024 years after Christ has come, do we not have proof that God keeps his promises? How much more of an advantage do we have when we find ourselves in the midst of heartache? Because God has come through. That's why I'm all fired up. Jesus in the passage. Old Testament, right? That's just cool. Okay, now, coming full circle out of that, all right, I want you to... I want you to see that, and I want you to hear that. Now, look at verse 17. Verses 17 and 18 are pretty remarkable, all right? He, he ends his song by, says this, by saying this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Hear this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and makes me tread on the high places. Here's what he's saying. Even though my circumstance doesn't change, my brother doesn't get off of drugs I continue to have miscarriages. Even though my pain doesn't go away from the surgery that failed, even though my parents, the divorce has created such a horrible effect in my family, even though I, get, I have cancer and it's not going away, even though I remain in the circumstances I'm in, I will praise the Lord because he comes through. God is my strength. God is my source of joy. Not my health, not my house, not my kids, not my possessions. God alone is. And therein, I have hope to the ages. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Leave you with this last big idea coming right out of verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. I want to encourage you to make that true for you. If you are in the midst of a heartache right now and you are looking to other things to get you through it, they're all false gods. They're not going to be strong. They're going to fail you. But God, the Lord, is promising you right now, if you come to him this morning, he will be your strength. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to just gather together as a church family and submit ourselves to the authority of your word. Lord, we know that you have promised that in this world we're gonna have trouble. But Lord, thank you so much 
for the hope that you have promised us in the midst of the heartache we face. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, you said, Christ is in us, our hope of glory. Jesus, you are our hope this morning. Nothing else will ever be what you can be for us. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen.